you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and go to Galatians chapter 6. Book of Galatians chapter 6. Again, happy Father's Day. I, I tell people parenting is one of the hardest things I've ever done and the most rewarding thing I've ever done all at the same time. Not for the faint of heart. As you're, di- as you're turning there, just to kind of preliminary remarks, um, uh, these really... You know, there's two ways to really do spiritual leadership, and, and really it's a combination. Spiritual leadership is a combination of a couple things. Uh, and one is obviously what we might call prophetic. It's that um, discerning what God's doing, joining God in what he's doing, adjusting to him. Um, and we have a very strong prophetic leader in Pastor Lawrence, um, and so thankful for that. Another side of that, though, is also pastoral, not just prophetic. And that is like Proverbs 27 is we're to know the state of the flock. We're to know what's going on. And, and um, I, I just have had opportunity to meet with people, you know, a, a lot. I, I do that around here. And so for the last, really I've noticed since January, I've noticed kind of the same kinds of problems coming up when I talk to people. So this morning I thought I would just start to address that. In fact, it was, it was so um, obvious to me, I think, that um, we actually changed something. We normally do in the summer. Uh, DCLI holds a uh, free class on the whole, last two years we've done it on the Holy Spirit. But this year we're going to change, and starting July 6th through August 10th, August 10th will be the end with the worship night, but starting July 6th at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights in the media room, we're going to just have a, about a five-week class on spiritually healthy relationships. What does it look like to have spiritually healthy relationships? Now, you might think, who am I to teach on that? I don't know, but you don't know how bad I was. So I've come a long way. I'm not perfect, but you don't know how bad I was. So uh, we're going to actually learn from each other and talk about some things that may mark what a spiritually healthy relationship looks like. So you might just put that on your calendar, July, starting July 6th. All right. Now, Galatians 6. Let's start at verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Just notice that, burdens. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will bear his own load. Notice verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And verse 5, we're all to bear our own load. Verse 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before your word and... and we are bombarded constantly with the opinions of men. I pray that you would protect this time from my opinions or any man's opinions. We long to hear from you. We thank you for the way that you've moved already this morning in worship. And we ask that as we dive into your word, it would be a continuation of that. So Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I just take a moment and I pray for our children who are being ministered to, who are about to go to camp. I pray that you'd bless them. Give them a heart to know you and to walk in your ways. Give them joy unspeakable and full of glory. And Lord, I pray that in here, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I thank you for this in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world, uh, especially in the West, in America, that thinks we understand freedom. In fact, we would say we've, we've marked our whole culture on it. But I, I want to point out a couple things about freedom as we begin to dive in here. One is, they're really, what we talk about freedom today, we, we really, the, one of the issues becomes we want freedom without responsibility. I want the freedom to choose whatever I want and not have a consequence with the, of that choice. But that's like not the way reality works. Right? You can choose to step off the roof. You just don't get to choose whether or not you hit the ground. That's the way reality works. And there's a difference between freedom from something and freedom unto something. 
Freedom from is what we classically in our culture talk about. We, it, it may mean emancipation, but we want to be freedom from some sort of bondage, some thor- something oppressing, something holding us back. That's freedom from. But then there's freedom to, and freedom to is a completely different idea. Like, I am free to run a marathon in that no one is holding me back. No one is oppressing me, telling me I can't run a marathon. I am not free to run a marathon because I'm not free to run a marathon because I have not trained to run a marathon. I would die about halfway. Freedom from versus freedom to. And when we tend to talk about freedom, we only talk about what, how do we get uh, away from bondage instead of how do we build uh, the necessary skills and train ourselves to have freedom to. When you, sit, when you watch a musician who sits down to a say, a piano and plays Beethoven that looks like they're completely free, but they're free because they've disciplined themselves. They're free to, not just free from. I'm free to play the piano and that no one's restricted me. Well, right now, maybe, but you get my point. I'm not free to do it because of lack of practice and training. Freedom from versus freedom to. Now, as we dive in, I want you to realize that God has created you to be powerful and free. God has created you to be powerful and free. God created a world where he intended for love to be genuinely expressed and experienced. He created a world in which he he desires that love would be genuinely expressed and experienced. In order for love to be genuinely expressed and experienced, there has to be some freedom. I want you to think about this, especially all the parents in the rooms. Parents in the rooms? There's only one room, multiple parents. All the parents in the room. I want you to just think about this. God did not protect Adam and Eve from a bad choice. He put the tree in the garden himself. If there is no bad choice, there's no freedom. And if you're not free, then love cannot be genuinely expressed and experienced. And in that realm of freedom, of choice, there is power. We have power. It's limited. It's not the same as God's kind of power. But we as human beings were created to be powerful and free. Now, Jesus gives us an example of what powerful and freedom uh, look like. He gives us an example of what power looks like when it is harnessed by love. Jesus is the kind of person. I mean, Jesus can go through life saying, you can, you can hate me, you can spit on me, you can not like me, you can put a crown of thorns on me. You can whip my back until you can see my spine and ribs. You can crucify me. You can nail me to a cross, but you can't make me hate you. Now, that's a powerful person. That's a powerful person. We're like the Apostle Paul, right? I've learned that whether I I, uh, have a lot or have a little, I can be content. That's a powerful person. Or if I die, I get to see Jesus. If I live, I keep on doing ministry for Jesus. What can you do to that guy? If you kill me, it's gain. What? Now he's free. We were created to be powerful and free. But our power was never meant to be separated from love. And so it's necessary. So I want to talk about... uh, the realm in which we have power, and I want to look at some things that may help us have some healthy relationships. I know now that I've mentioned about meeting with people since January, everyone I met with who's in the room is going, oh no, is he going to share a story about us? Um, probably. No, I'm just <laughs> You need to know that this sermon is not personal, but it's personal, if you know what I mean. Like, I have no one in mind, but it, it'll probably ring true. So let's start with here in Galatians. I pointed the two verses out. One, in verse 2, you see that we are to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. But then later we see in verse 5, each one should bear his own load. It seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Until you understand a little bit about the original language, the word burden in verse 2 is really close to the word boulder. It could mean huge stone, something no one could carry by themselves. And the word load is... uh, it's actually used in other Greek writings to talk about a knapsack, lunch pail, uh, a purse, <laughs> man purse, right? Uh, satchel, something that you are to carry yourself. So boulder, huge stone, bear one another's boulders and so fulfill the law of Christ. But each one should be responsible for their own lunch pail, backpack, satchel. There are certain things that you are never meant to carry alone. And there are certain things no one is ever meant to carry for you. 
And I find almost every dysfunctional relationship has some of those, uh, those rules of thumb switched. They're, somebody's carrying something that is heavy, that is a boulder that they were never meant to carry on their own. They're carrying it on their own in isolation and in hiddenness. Or we're making people responsible for things that are in our backpack. We're blaming people for things that are our responsibilities. And so part of being healthy is learning the difference between the two. So what are some of these boulders that we're not meant to carry alone? Well, in the context of Galatians 6, it's trespass and sin. We are not to carry our sin alone. In fact, sin will grow the more you isolate yourself with it. The more you hide your, your sin, it actually grows in the darkness. When you bring it to the light, it starts to die. So when you see someone in a trespass, you are spiritual, restore such one, the spirit of gentleness. They're not meant to carry that alone. So that's one. That's, uh, that's sin. Sin is one of the things we are not meant to carry alone. But here's some others. Grief. When you lose someone you love, when you suffer a loss, when something um, traumatic happens, trauma is not something we were meant to carry alone. Abuse was not something you were meant to carry alone. Economical hardship. In, in the book of Philippians, Paul actually tells them to take up an offering for Jerusalem, for the church in Jerusalem, because there had been a famine. They, they were to share in that load. When we go through economical hardship, we are meant to share that together, not just do that alone. Those are some of those boulders that we are not meant to carry alone. But what are some of the things that fall inside our backpack, our lunch pail, so to speak? Things that are ours to carry. Now, um, just in, in passing, the boulder you're not to meant to carry alone, but the, the truth is not everybody is meant to carry more than you, right? It's like if somebody asked me to come help them move this big heavy thing, it's theirs, they need it moved, and I go to pick it up, and I'm doing more of the heavy lifting than they are, I'm going to set it down and ask some questions. <laughs> but we are to help each other carry, their own, carry burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Christ carried for you what you could not carry on your own. Christ took upon himself what, was, what would have crushed you under the weight of your sin and, and um, transgression and trespass. So that's what it means by fulfilling the law of Christ. But now, what are some of the things that fall inside of our boundary line? So to speak? Imagine that you have a property line here, and your, your property, everything inside the property line is yours, no one else's. It belongs to you and you alone. I want to give you about nine things that fall inside that property line that, that falls inside your lunch pail that you are to carry your own load. Everybody all right? All right, here we go. This is going to be fun. If not, you know, I've been looking for someone to tell. You're here, I'm here. I'm just going to tell it and not even blame it on God. <laughs> Look, what, let me just start by prefacing this. What I'm about to tell you, I'm not telling you so that we can blame people. What I'm telling you is because we're looking for who's in charge. Who is responsible, respondable? Who's able to respond to get a different result? Who can bring about change? Anybody ever, ever have that moment where you call maybe a vendor or something? I remember years ago I had AT&T come and put internet in the house and uh, the internet didn't work, so I called them and said, you know, you need to send somebody else, not working. They sent somebody out, they repaired it, they got it working. Then they send me a bill saying, you know, you had an extra maintenance fee. So I called the lady and said, I did not have any internet to be repaired. <laughs> You said, it was fit. you said it was on and it wasn't on, and you sent someone out, and now you sent me an additional bill. I thought the installment was free. Well, it is free, but we had to send another person out. You had to send another person out because the first time it was done, it was done wrong. And then she says, well, I don't have authority to, you know, wipe away that bill. Well, great. Give me the person who does. It's miserable, isn't it? It's frustrating to have some sort of responsibility without authority. And that's what our property line is helping us decide. Who's in charge here? Not so we can blame or shame them, but so that we can get a different result. Right? That's what we're looking for. So here's some things that fall inside your property line. And, uh, and this is a way we honor people. Look, just to continue to give parenthetical statements before I actually get to my point. In 1 Peter 2.17, the Bible says, honor all people. Everybody say honor. Anybody grow up thinking that honor should, you know, is deserved or uh, earned? It's not. The Bible says honor all people. Honor all people. The word honor, the Greek word there literally means to give people the proper place, to give them the place. And what I'm trying to say is this property line and these things that fall inside of it is the way God has honored you by giving you a place in which you can practice your freedom. He's given you a place and we ought to honor each other by respecting these property lines and what falls inside of them. 
That makes sense? We honor one another by, by seeing what falls inside this property line. All right, here we go. Number one, the, one of the first things that falls inside. Now, listen, this list is not exhaustive, but I'm just going to give enough to make you uncomfortable. Uh, the first one is your body. Your body falls inside your property line. It is God's gift to you, your little power pack. It's the first place that you can practice freedom. And it is uniquely you. If I go running, you don't lose weight. It's uniquely mine. And how I handle it falls inside my property line. The cleanliness of it, the hygiene, the appearance of it, even to some degree the health, the things I put in it. Now, there's often things outside of our control. But our body is one of the first places that we have freedom that falls inside our property line. And this is why when we, somebody violates that property line, we call it abuse. Whether it's sexual or physical, because the body falls inside your property line. It's the way God gave you um, something that uniquely belongs to you. Right, so the body is the first one. The second one, this is going to be fun, your feelings fall inside your property line. Now look, your feelings, let me just get, help you. Feelings are really our experience of experience. It's our experience of life. Right? It's, uh, it, it, is, it can be subjective. Uh, it is subjective, but it can also be objective in, in some degree. But for the most part, it's, it's subjective. Now listen, feelings are almost always a response to a thought whether subconsciously or consciously, feelings are almost always in a response to a thought. Many of you will probably have this conversation uh, later today if you haven't had it recently. But you're going to look at somebody, and you guys are going to go to lunch, and you're going to say, do you have any place you'd like to eat? And they're going to say, no. And then you're going to say, how about Mexican food? And they're going to say, no. <laughs> now, what happened there? When you said, do you have a place you want to eat, nothing is before the mind. So they have a feeling of? what we might call indifference. Indifference is usually like a low level of a negative feeling. Right? No, whatever you want. Then you say Mexican. Well, now Mexican has come before the mind, and I have a feeling about Mexican. But until that's before the mind, I don't have a feeling about it. It just makes sense. So that's how feelings are often a response to our experiences or uh, our thoughts. So, um, now, I just want to make sure you understand there's a difference between feeling and sensation. That's totally... A sensation, you know, a fly lands on you, moves your arm hair, or you got to itch, or things like that. Sensations can be different. Sensations can often fuel thoughts, where feelings are normally in response to thoughts, but that's extra. I don't know why I even said that. Here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is this. The problem is when I start to feel angry every time Bob walks in the room, I begin to be really tempted that Bob's the problem. Instead of realizing... My feeling is my problem, not Bob. Bob's not feeling angry when Bob walks in the room. I'm angry when Bob walks in the room. Now, let me just side note. That doesn't mean that your feelings are, about Bob are not justified. Maybe Bob has legitimately done something that anger is a proper response. Either way, though, it's your feeling, not Bob's. And what are you going to do about that anger and that feeling? So we have to realize feelings fall inside my property line, no one else's. I'm not going to stand before God one day and say, I know I was bitter, but it was Bob's fault. <laughs> that falls inside your lunch pail, and we're to carry our own load, right? So you might be justified, but the feelings are mine. I could spend more time on that, but I'm not, because we're going to get even more uncomfortable. Second, uh, third thing is your thoughts. Your thoughts fall inside your property line. Have you ever thought about why you think about all the things you think about when there's all the other things you could be thinking about? It says a lot about a person, doesn't it? I couldn't say that again, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but the, the point is, our thoughts can be in response to something we saw. Our thoughts can be in response to something we heard. Our response can be even something we smelled. Uh, we can have thoughts. And usually, we can't stop thoughts from occurring. That, that's a little difficult. But what we can, once they do occur, it is our responsibility and what we're going to do with them. Right? Like uh, Martin, uh, uh, Martin Luther, the, the reformer, said in his uh, journal, you, can, you, can't, you may not be able to keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest. Right? That's what he meant. That I may not be able to stop thoughts from entering, but I then can do something about them. That's why the Bible tells us that we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. One of the ways I like to do it, I don't know how you do it, but this way I like to do it, I like to take the thoughts that I... Uh, I want to take captive. There's all kinds of things, ways we can walk through this on how do you tell if a thought's from God, just yourself, or 
the enemy or things like that. And there's ways to do that, but that's, that'll be for the class, not, not here. You have to come to that if you want to find out. <laughs> just because that, that just takes some diving into. But here's the point. I like to imagine the thought I'm having because oftentimes we, we think in words before we think in pictures. So I like to picture it. And then I like to, like it's a picture or a painting or something. And then I like to just roll it up from the top to the bottom and say, Jesus, I hand you this thought. And I need you to take it from me. I need you to give me thoughts you would like me to have. Things that are true and noble and just and good and lovely and of good report. Now, I don't know how you do it, but how, we have to figure out a way how to take some thoughts captive. All right? So our thoughts. The next thing that falls inside our boundary line, our property line that falls inside of our lunch pail is our attitudes. Now, you can even put attitudes or beliefs because they are very similar in the way we experience them. Attitudes or beliefs. Now, the problem is attitudes often go unchecked, don't they? It's usually someone else has to point out our attitude before we go, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's my attitude. I get it now, right? And then when they do come to turn, when we do become aware of our attitudes, we often treat attitudes like they happen to us, like a sneeze. You're like, ha-choo, and I'm in a bad mood, right? <laughs> like we're powerless over them. But listen, attitudes are really important. Your attitudes about God is really important. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what they believe to be true about God, for what they believe to be true about God will determine what they believe to be true about themselves. Is God someone you run to or you're scared of? Is God someone when you sin or make a mistake you feel the need to hide it from or you can go to? Is God somebody you think is just really distant like a, like a good deist does? He may exist, but he's, he's way out there and not really involved. What's your attitude about God? Because it shapes the way you see yourself. What's the attitude about yourself? Right? What's your attitude about others? What's your attitude about liberals or conservatives? What's your attitude about children? What's your attitude about other people's children? <laughs> Not just yours. Yeah, you thought, gotcha, didn't I? Right? <laughs> What's your attitude? What's your attitude about your past? Are you embarrassed by it? Shameful of it? What's your attitude about sin? What's your attitude about the future? Are you optimistic? Do you see the future as something that as it goes, you're going to get to experience more of God's faithfulness? Or are you pessimistic about the future and afraid the bottom's going to fall out? What's your attitude about the future? Another one, what's your attitude about money? What's your attitude about money? Years ago, I, I felt the Lord confront me and just say, I want to talk to you about money. And I, I was like, I'm good, you know? I'm good. Uh, I realize you're my provider. You're my protector. I, you know, I'm I'm good. And I just realized, I don't know how to say it. I don't know if God said it to me as much as like this. I don't know if you guys ever had this idea just kind of unfolded in my mind and I could see it all. Does that make sense? So I don't know where it came from, but it was too good to be me. So um, I had this thought that if I, had a, if I had millions of dollars, I would feel the need to apologize to someone. Now, if I had a million dollars and feel the need to apologize, the only reason why I would apologize is because I feel like I've done something wrong. And once you start subscribing morality to money, You've crossed the line. Money is a tool. You may say, wait a minute, Nathan, what about the Bible? What about the rich young ruler? What about camels trying to go through eyes and needles? All right, that's legitimate. Well, also, what about um, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous? Proverbs and Isaiah. Or what about this one? Proverb, a righteous man never goes hungry. So we're going to say somebody who's poor and hungry must obviously not be righteous? You see, the moment we start subscribing morality to money, we've crossed the line. It's a tool. That's why I can have none and be okay, and I can have a lot and be okay. Because the point was, the thing doesn't define me. It's just a tool. What's your attitude about money? Do you have to have it? Can you, can you, uh, do you only have peace when you have it? What's your attitude about it? So a lot of things to think about when we want. That falls inside your boundary line, your property line. You have to own those attitudes. The next one is your choices. Your choices fall inside your property line. They fall inside your backpack. I can put a gun to your head and say, deny Christ, and you still have two choices. No one can ever take that away from you. Now, we can consent. We can give the power of, that ch of choosing away, which we often do, because what we like to think is if I give that power away, let somebody else choose for me, I will not, I will not be responsible, but you will be held responsible for the fact you gave away your power to choose. We always have a choice. That's not fun all the time, 
But we always have a choice. And how we handle that is really important. Listen, in your choosing, if you can't say no, then your yes means nothing. If I can't say no to my children, then my yes to my children is empty and hollow. If I can't say no to my spouse, then my yes is empty and hollow. If I cannot say no, if I can't make a choice to decide against something because I'm not for it or that I, I don't even have time for it, if I cannot say a good no, then my yes has no meaning behind it. It's simply compuls- compulsion. It's, it's consent, but it's not a resounding yes. And we have to own, we have to let our yes be yes and our no be no, which means we own the fact I have a choice here and I am powerful enough to make this choice and be held accountable for the repercussions of it. But what we want to do is make choices and not be held responsible or give away the ability to choose. That way we can blame someone else and not be responsible. But that's not the way the world actually works. The next thing, I know you guys are all having fun, is behaviors. No one can make you do it, right? <laughs> Whether you call it the devil or someone else. Behaviors, listen, let's just to sum this one up quickly. If you're, what you feel is your, inside your property line and you're responsible for, if what you think falls inside your boundary line and what you're responsible for, if what you choose falls in line your, inside your property line and in your backpack you'll be held responsible for, then the sum total of those that result in an action or a behavior is yours. You'll be held responsible. Now listen, you can have behaviors that become so ingrained into your body they're reactionary. That you don't even have to think much about it. That just kind of happens, like a ninja, right? Uh, you ever, anybody throw a ball at you and you didn't even see it, but you caught it? Like your, your body just reacting. That happens. I'm, I've, I've met people. Uh, I've met people, not recently and not here, of course. <laughs> I have met people who like, I'm angry, and I'm just angry because I'm Irish. And I'm like, no, you're not. I mean, you may be Irish, but you're angry because you're practiced. You're angry because you never thought about other options and alternatives to behaving the way you're behaving. So whatever your behaviors might be, whatever behaviors you might want to change, we have to start with realizing they're ours. They're mine. They fall inside my property line. I must own them. They're mine. Then I can go about trying to get a different result, right? The next thing is desires. Your desires fall inside your property line. They fall inside your backpack. This is going to be fun, isn't it? Anybody ever have uh, someone say to you, someone close to you say to you, I really want you to desire to do the dishes. <laughs> Look, you will never have that power over anyone. You can't make anybody desire anything. But look, my response would be, look, I desire to help you. I desire to serve you. I desire to communicate my love to you. And if doing the dishes does that, then great. But I will never wake up one day and just desire to do the dishes. I'll not look at a full sink and go, oh boy, wait till I get my hands on you. Look, that's never going to happen. And the truth is, listen, the truth is deep down, in order to communicate love, we don't want them to desire it. We want them to do it because they love us, not the dishes. This is why no husband looked at his wife and goes, I love you so much, I'm going to go play golf without you. (laughs) Like that just doesn't, maybe that works for some relationships, but you get my point. If I did the dishes because I just love dishes, it no longer communicates my love to you. It communicates my desire to do dishes. The truth is our desire falls inside our boundary line. You can't make somebody desire something else. You can't make somebody choose something else that falls inside of their property line. You can reason with them. You can show them all the reasons why changing their desire would be good. You can do all of that. But in the end, it is theirs and they must own it. And it's yours and you must own it. Now listen. um, You can desire to not desire what you now desire. And that's the first step to changing desire. Is I desire to not desire this thing I now desire. That's usually where addicts have to start. I desire to not desire this substance. And that's a good starting spot. But we have to own, listen, you have to own your desires even when you don't like them. If you're going to change them, then you have to own them. They're yours. And then you can do something about it. But until then, you can't. So own it. 
All right, take a hold of it. All right. I'm not even halfway through my sermon, so we better hurry. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right. So the next one is your abilities. Your abilities, your talents, your gifts, both your supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit and your natural gifts, right? Uh, your resources, your talents, they all fall inside your boundary, your property line. You are responsible for them. You're responsible to train, to hone, to practice, to grow your, your skills and your talents. Listen, yes, you may be given by the Holy Spirit the gift of prophecy, but you can hang out with people who've been prophets for years and learn some stuff. You may have the gift of healing, but you can go to some conferences and read some books and learn a lot more about healing. You may have the gift of teaching, but you can read some theology. Like, there's, there, there may be gifts given to us by God and by grace, but that doesn't mean we can't grow in them, that we don't have some response to them, to take them and learn from them, to, to grow them. Those abilities fall inside our, our property line. They fall inside our responsibility to begin to home, to practice. Practice is doing something by repetition that didn't come by natural inclination. We can practice and grow. What's your attitudes about your abilities? Listen, this is... I'm, yeah, I'm going to do it. Here's a tangent. Take, take, oh, Jesus, help me. I'm about to do this. Take the issue of minimum wage. You don't get paid for your time. You may get paid by the hour, but you don't get paid for your time. If so, you could sit at home and get paid. You get paid for the value you add in that given hour. You get paid for the value you bring to the marketplace. Now, obviously, there, I've met some business owners who want to just pay people as little as possible, and the truth is, those businesses either don't last long or they never grow. Just flat out. Let, the world will take care of that. But here's the deal. The real issue is this. Can you, through developing yourself, add twice as much value to the marketplace in that given hour than you do right now? And if the answer is yes, which it is, then you can double how much you make an hour by working on yourself by developing your ability. Instead of legislating for a little more an hour, by developing yourself, you can get more if you bring value to the marketplace in that given hour. Listen, I'm not, I'm not asking for you. I can tell I've, I've stopped off with this, but look, I don't even know what minimum wage is now, but look, they'll pay you nine, maybe $9, $8, whatever it is, to, uh, at McDonald's. But listen, you show up early, which takes really hardly any talent. You smile you do everything that you're asked to do with a great attitude, you'll not be at $9 long. So the point is, minimum wage is not a hammock. It's not a bed. It's a rung on a ladder. And if we add value to the marketplace, then we can grow. Sorry, tangent, but there you go. Now, listen. Oh, Jesus, come back. There are people I have met who want to leave jobs because they're not getting paid enough, and the ability that they really need to work on was not the fact that they added value. They did. The problem was whoever was over them didn't see the value, so they had to work on their ability to have a hard conversation, had to advocate for themselves, had to go and say, let me show you the value I add, and let me ask you, do you really think that I should be getting paid blank? And I'm telling you, most people that run businesses can respect that kind of conversation. So there you go. Oh, that felt better. Personal development. What's your uh, attitude towards your abilities? The last thing is your limits. Your limits. There are certain things, actually, there's a bunch of stuff that you cannot do, and there's a bunch of stuff you'll not be good at. And that's okay. That doesn't make you wrong. It makes you human. In fact, one of Adam and Eve's problem was they couldn't handle the limit God put on them. Don't eat from that tree. We all have limits. We all only have so much time. We all only have so much strength, energy. We all only have so much resource. And really, those limits, if we own them, they become our responsibility in how we're managing our time, strengths, and resources because we know we'd only have, we have a very limited amount. And then we can decide. In other words, listen, if you take these nine things that fall inside your property line and you manage them well, this will help you, number one, protect your priorities, and number two, help you be a better steward of what God's entrusted to your care. Let each one carry their own load. Isaiah 10, 13, the king of Syria said, I moved the boundary lines and stole their treasure. If you do not have good boundaries, you probably have little treasure. These things fall inside our property line, and it's our job to steward them. No one else can steward them. And dysfunction happens when I begin to make other people responsible for what falls inside my property line. All right, well, 
So being powerful means managing what's going on inside of us. And what I find oftentimes is we spend more energy trying to control other people or trying to control circumstances instead of focusing on controlling the one thing that we can control, and that's ourselves. Look, I can control myself on a good day, just on a good day. So that, like, look, if you think you can control other people, live with a toddler for a day. Like, it's God's gift to you. You can't control anyone, right? Like, we put the P in here, right? it's, it's just that way. Once you really come to terms with the fact that you cannot control anyone but you, then you actually begin to be powerful and free to manage what falls inside your property line. And you begin to help others discover how powerful and free they are by not jumping over there and trying to manage what's inside their property line. But it gets a little difficult. Listen, not even God wants to control you. Now, the one person in the whole universe that could doesn't. It gives you choices. He will let people choose hell, though it breaks his heart. That's how much honor he gives you in your decisions you make. So, now we have these nine things, and quickly, when sin enters the world, for example, with Adam and Eve, you see them quickly begin to have shame and blame, right? Uh, when God shows up in the garden, Adam, you know, finally, when he gets caught, says, hey, you know, it's th this woman you gave me. This woman. <laughs> just, just pause. He went from, like, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh woman to this woman, right? <laughs> and you know Eve was a powerful woman. Can you imagine the conversation the next day out of the garden? This woman, huh? This woman? I bet that didn't go well. This woman you gave me. He blames the only other two people on the planet. It was this woman, and by the way, she came from you. <laughs> what sin often does is it causes us to blame people for things going on inside of our property line instead of taking ownership of it like God intended. Adam may not initiate it, but he made a choice, and he has to be responsible for it. I see it over and over and over again. People who give their power away. Once we realize that we are vulnerable, not only are we scared and want to protect ourselves from others, but then we begin to realize, well, other people are as vulnerable as me, which means maybe I can control them. And what ends up happening is being a game of trying to control outcomes in people. Instead of letting people have what's going on inside of their property line and the consequence that goes with it and owning what's going on inside of mine and having the reward or con consequence that goes with it. We often give our power away to things like fear. Or we give our power away to things like pride. Or we give our power away to things like desire or anger or blame. And what I want to say is part of becoming spiritually healthy is learning how to get your power back. So I want to talk briefly as we land this plane on how to get your power back. One, if we want to get our power back, we have to own the problem. We have to own what's going on inside of our property line. Listen, I tell people all the time, no matter how smart you are, no matter how many years of experience you have, no matter how wise you are, you do not have an answer for someone who does not have a problem. So usually the first step in helping people is to help them have a problem. Look, years ago, I don't uh, have too much time for this, but years ago, I had a couple call me and say, would you meet with our 25-year-old son? I said, sure. They show up, no 25-year-old son. I thought, that's odd. Come on in. They come in and say, well, you know, he, didn't, he refused to come. I said, okay. They said, well, he, you know, what's the problem? The problem is he dropped out of college. We suspect he's on drugs. He's living at home, doing, not working. You know, I, I, we don't know what to do. And I said, well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is your son doesn't have a problem. The bad news is you have a problem. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to help you help your son have a problem. Because what's happening, he's sticking the fork in the light socket and grabbing a hold of his parents, and his parents are getting shocked. And the only way that he's going to learn not to stick the fork in the light socket is when he's experiencing the consequence that comes with sticking your fork in the light socket. So we had to help him have a problem. How do we do that? We walked it through. Say, hey, nowhere in life do you get to live without rent. So this is what we're going to do. You either go to college and you pass or you work on a trade or a job, and we will not charge you any rent. You're free to be here. But if you're not going to do either one of those, to rent that room is going to be $300 a month. And they, he said, you're not going to do that? Hey, I'm not going to go to work. I, and they told me that. He's not going to do it. I said, fine. 
You just tell him no problem, and then you walk away. They said, no problem, walk away. He goes out one day with his friends. This is what I advise him. You go in and grab his PlayStation 4 or 2 at the time, and then you go pawn it for 300 bucks. <laughs> they went and grabbed his PlayStation and pawned it for 300 bucks. When they got home, he was furious. And they said, hey, next month's coming, though, and it's another $300. Wow. And he said, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm out. Well, where are you going to go? So he went. He went and lived with a friend, slept on his couch for about two days, and guess what? The friends did not quite have the patience the parents did. They wanted him out. So he comes back. Slowly but surely, he's starting to own the fact that this is what life is like. We read it. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we read it. Do not be deceived. God will be not mocked. And whatever man sows, he shall reap. We teach people deception. When we teach them, they will not reap what they sow. Those parents were teaching their child deception by helping him think that's the way the world actually works. That is not. He decided to not go to college, but get a trade job, work as an apprentice to an electrician. They waived the rent. Two years later, he passes, becomes... A licensed electrician now makes more money than they do help support them. But it took letting him feel the pain and reward of his own consequence. And here's the deal. At first, they were the bad guys. They appear to be the bad guys. But when you start growing up, you realize they're not the bad guys. Reality is the bad guy. Truth is a bad guy, right? It's like the toddler that falls down and they hit the floor like it's the floor's fault. So we have to help people have problems, right? To be responsible, to be respond-able means I have to have a plan on what I'm going to do with me when you blow up your life. When you start making bad choices, when you start managing those things inside your property lines in ways that are scary and crazy, I have to have a plan on what I'm going to do with me. I remember the first time, Judah, sorry to embarrass you, I remember the first time Judah lied to me. I thought, oh, not my son. And then I realized all the times I lied. And then I realized, okay, that's human. I got to have a plan on what I'm going to do with me when he lies. And so we have a couple step plan. We talk about trust. How one day he's going to want the keys to my car. And the way he handles his end of our relationships helps me decide how much trust I can give him. And then in the light of the truth, regardless of what happens, I may be frustrated, I may not be happy, I will never be angry if he tells me the truth. That's our relationship. That's our deal. You tell me the truth, we'll move towards it and solve it. But if I got to find out another way, it's going to be even worse. Like, let's just get through, then we have the trust issue. So we had to figure out what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with you when your spouse is disrespectful? Because it just might happen again. What are you going to do when the coworker lashes out? This is what it means. I have to think about what I'm going to do with me, not how I'm going to jump over there and try to control what's inside your property line. I got to know what I'm going to do with me going on inside my property line. This was a huge realization raising children. It's like, my frustration about what they're doing is my problem. And I got to decide what I'm going to do with me. So we have a rule. Hey, you're being no fun. You can be fun out here or no fun in your room, right? And there's times where it's like, hey, dad just realized dad's no fun. I'm going to my room. (laughs) But I got to have an idea what I'm going to do with me because my frustration is is not their problem. It's my problem. Now, we try to make it everybody else's problem, don't we? I'm first going to show you it's going to be your problem. But listen, all that does is teach people to be manipulated by anger and fear. All I'm teaching my kid to do is how to be controlled by my anger. And then one day, he's going to have enough of it, and he's going to say, I'm no longer going to be controlled by you. Let's go outside. Or he's going to grow up being passive his whole life and scared of everyone's anger. What kind of daughter, what kind of husband am I handing my future daughter-in-law like that? How do we help people own what's going on inside? So we have to take ownership, right? We say it all the time, you're pushing my buttons. You only push buttons on things you control. Why'd you give them the remote? (laughs) Take it back. All right, here we go. Uh, So own the problem, right? That's why when people come to you, they start, this is happening, and anybody have, this is happening, this is happening. They keep just telling you about all the bad stuff that's happening, hoping you'll just jump over there and save them. Here's it, just tattoo this on your arm. Not literally, but just here. Great question. Oh, man. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> Immediately, it throws all the consequence and power back on them. You are a brilliant, powerful person creating the image of God. What are you going to do about that? Would you like some suggestions? I got some ideas, but what are you going to do? 
You see, here's the deal. If somebody's giving their power away and all I do is take over the remote control of their life and control them because I love them so much to get an outcome, and then once I finally get the outcome, I give the remote control back to them, they never learned how to manage it themselves. Listen, if our help to people, our loving people, only makes them more dependent upon us, we didn't really help them. When Jesus is done with people, they are more free and more powerful when he's done. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, just think about this for a moment. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the presence of the Sovereign One shows up. You don't think about a Lord and freedom in the same sentence. But when the presence of the Sovereign One shows up, His very presence and rule brings liberty to others. We own the problem. Here's a couple of things I need to move quickly. One is repentance. Repentance is changing the way you think. It's owning it. It's the first step out of denial. Oh, this is probably a problem. I need to change the way I think about it. It also admits my limits to my problem, right? I want to jump off the roof and I don't want to hit the ground, but I'm going to come to terms with God's the one that kind of decided that reality, not me. So it's humility. The second thing, or the third thing, own the problem, repentance. Here's another one. Confession, get your power back. Just quickly, years ago, I, was, um, I used to preach a lot of church camps uh, back in the, uh, the day, and I remember I had a bunch of church camps lined out to preach, and a guy called me and asked me, if I would do a church camp, I remember not really liking being there with him. I don't know how to say that politely, but that's the way it was. And he asked me for the only week I had off in the whole summer. And I said to him, man, I can't. I'm booked. And we got off the phone. And I felt so convicted. I had given my power away to my fear on how he would respond if I told him the truth. So I called him back. And I said, man, I need to tell you something. I just lied to you. I have that week free, but it's the only week I have free. And the truth is, I'd like to have a break there, and it wasn't the most um, rewarding use of my time last time I came. And here I am just terrified. What's he going to do? And he said, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you just did this. I've been lying to my pastor for three weeks, and I've not known what to do. Will you help me talk to him? And my thought was, I thought this was going to be a short phone call, but okay. No. <laughs> Listen, what ends up happening, and I wish I could tell you that the last time it happened. It happens regularly. That we give. We're, Listen, you cannot be so afraid to how someone's going to respond to you telling the truth that you justify lying. You cannot be afraid of how someone's going to respond to you telling the truth that you justify lying. Now look, telling the truth doesn't mean, oh, permission slip to be rude. Or saying anything that crosses your mind. Telling the truth means I'm learning to speak the truth in love, which means I'm trying to decrease the anxiety and shame in the conversation and increase the amount of respect and honor while also not compromising what's truthful. And that is possible. It just takes some practice. So we have to learn, so confession, um, uh, telling the truth. We give our power away when we misrepresent it. Um, and then, so let me just conclude with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come to make sure I'll conclude. <laughs> this passage starts out, you know, go to them in a spirit of gentleness. I want to just talk about briefly when we go to help people, given the, this idea. Jesus came to show us the Father. So wait, everybody just look at me. Jesus came to show us the Father. He did not come to show us the church. He did not come to show us the Bible. He did not come to condemn the world. In fact, John 3.17 says that clearly. He's not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to show people, humanity, how stupid they are. He came to show them the Father. And it's our job as we engage people to show them the Father. So that's why we go to them in a spirit of gentleness, because that's what the Father's like. And gentleness doesn't mean passivity. Gentleness means patienceness undergirded by truth and grace. In other words, I'm going to tell the truth, but I'm going to be patient with you at the same time. And I'm going to keep telling the truth, and we're going to work through this, and we're not going to let you get away with it, but at the same time, I am for you. I'm here to help you. And the truth is, I don't want control of you. I'm not here to get control of you. God doesn't even want control of you. I'm here to help you discover why you, this brilliant person made in the image of God, has given your power away to something, and I want to help you discover what you've been giving your power away to and add any strength I can in my life to help you get it back.
That's what confrontation and ministry and helping people looks like. Where has this wonderful person made the image of God, given their power away? And how can I add the strength in my life to help them get it back? That's what it looks like to help. The problem with that is, is that means you have to let people you love experience pain. If they're going to keep choosing those choices, then it's going to be painful. And I have to be willing to let them endure that. And I can't tell you, I've seen parents after parent have to let their children endure pain. And it is gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching. I, I don't... But look, there's good pain and there's bad pain. There's good pain, which comes from having to deal with a consequence of one's decision in which you can lean into that pain and do something, the pain that's required to get better. That's the pain that comes from working out to the soreness. Or you can have bad pain that comes from doing nothing. That pain has no end date to it. You can have the soreness that comes with working out or the back pain that comes from not working out, but there's no option with no pain. Same thing in life. There's no option with no pain. There's either good pain that helps people grow, and it has an end date, or there's bad pain that we get from not growing, and it has no end date. Jesus is the kind of person who cares enough about people to go to them in a spirit of gentleness and say, let's embrace the good pain because there'll be joy in the morning. It may be dark tonight. This may be really painful right now, but joy comes in the morning. Would you stand with me? Your GP2RL for this week your God's presence to real life is this. Would you take time to pause and reflect on how you're stewarding these nine things that fall inside your boundary lines? And maybe would you ask yourself this question? Where might you be giving your power away? Is it to fear, pride, greed? Maybe it's just self-preservation. But ask the Holy Spirit to join you. Listen, don't go searching your own soul because you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff in there you can't do anything about. Say, Lord, come and search my heart and point out anything you'd like. Because I know if you point it out, you'll give me grace to change it. Let me pray. Lord, we desire to be a people who live powerful and free the way you intended. Lord, we desire to be a people who love well and help others embrace and grow and be more free and more powerful. So, Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, will you come and meet us? Teach us how to take hold of these things that you've entrusted to our care. And may we steward them well. And may we hear from you one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.